You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. By the time Steve Thomas had finished high school, he had won the Galax Fiddlers Convention as well as the Virginia State Mandolin Championship. He went on to help create the Lonesome River Band with friend Tim Austin. Steve is now fronting his own band, The Time Machine, with a new CD on the way. And he is my guest on this edition of Americana Music Profiles. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, glad to be here. Good to get a chance to speak with you. Uh, you've you've been at this for a little while, haven't you? Yeah, probably about 35 or plus years. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I was, uh, I, I noticed in the press material, you, you grew up in, um, near Roanoke, Virginia. Is that right? I did. I did. I grew up, uh, in my teen years going to a bunch of, uh, fiddle contests that were very popular around that year, around the, that area. Uh, Galax, maybe one of them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's a big Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I saw that you uh, actually went to Shenandoah University as well. Is that right? No, I never attended. Uh, there was some press in there. I was uh, being offered uh, a partial scholarship to go there, but uh, the I, and I haven't read the edited press that you re- you were sent, so I'm not exactly sure what you read. But uh, I was attending. Uh, college when I was offered a job by uh, Del McCurry, okay. Dixie Pals at the time, and uh, being young and impulsive and thinking that I knew better, uh, you know, I um, dropped out of college and went, went to work with Del McCurry in 1982. <laughs> where, were you, where were you attending college? Were you at Shenandoah University? No, I was at uh, Virginia Western, taking some classes to prepare me to go there. I see. Okay, and uh, and uh, you know, just trying to save that money, and uh, you know how that goes. So sure. Yeah. Doing the community college thing, and then uh, I got a call from a guy named David Parmley, who was the lead singer with the Bluegrass Cardinals, who was a friend of mine at the time, telling me about Del McCurry, and uh, of course, I had some of his records and uh, was a fan. And, that he needed a fiddler, and so I auditioned, and the next thing you know, I'm traveling the world in a tour bus, which was pretty meager, uh, 1954 GM bus, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, it was a very exciting time for me. And how old were you at that time? 19. Wow. So that, that's a lot for a 19-year-old, for sure. Yeah, well, it was a dream, and, uh, you know, I uh, just jumped at the opportunity as sure. it, it came by. So right. uh, never really looked back. I mean, I, I didn't encourage my children to do that when we got to those years, but uh, uh, I was sort of on my own and uh, impulsive, and, uh, you know, so here I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was my college, uh, so to speak. So how did how did music begin for you as a younger child? When I was very young, uh, mostly just around the holidays and things like that, my dad played music, and we would, uh, you know, gatherings with the family. I had an uncle that played and a cousin that played, and so it was mostly like that. 
and uh, you know, then occasionally on a uh, a night, uh, usually a weekend night, we would maybe visit with a neighbor that had a little guitar under his bed or something like that, and play some old hymns or old country songs, and uh, I was sort of a unique situation for a guy of my age in the 70s because we were very isolated and uh, lived on a farm and uh, no telephone and uh, I can't remember having a record player or anything like that so the music was all live Mm -hmm. Uh, in my early when I say early I mean from you know preschool up to nine years old ten years old during those years and um, I want to say by the time I was nine eight or nine we had gotten a record player, and it was funny. We had a fire in the house that mm-hmm. burned out, and, uh, and some of the things that we received from people, one thing was a uh, an old RCA console record player mm. and a bunch of show bunch of show records, like Annie Get Your Gun. Really? Like okay. That. <laughs> it seemed like we had uh, a couple of Johnny Cash records, and maybe my sister got a Beatle record, and there was a few things kind of showing up. But still, most of my musical experience was from playing uh, with local pickers around there. Right. Just in social social settings, you know. And uh, so, that's kind of how it was early on. Kind of really unique to be growing up in the 70s and be that isolated, but that's sort of the way it was. Right, yeah. So when when did it, when did you take to a particular instrument? You You played fiddle and mandolin, right? Well, I started playing acoustic guitar. Okay. My dad taught me a few chords to um, be able to back him up on the uh, fiddle. He was a fiddler. Okay. And uh, so he would he taught me the basic bluegrass rhythm and a few bluegrass chords just to, you know, you had his with a guitar. If you have a G chord and a capo, you're good to go. Right. So that, was sort of, <laughs> that was my experience when I was young and... Uh, then uh, my my father passed. And he most of my childhood, I'm gonna say for about seven years to twelve years, he was uh, in a battle with cancer, and oh, he lost wow. that battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was about I want to say within a couple of years of that, my mother had sold that farm and moved us uh, closer into the city, and I was having uh, a little more involvement with some other uh, other musicians. Around fifteen or so, I met. Uh, one of my best friends growing up was a guy named Ricky Riddle. Uh, he played mandolin for a while with a band called Santa Cruz. Hmm. With uh, Wyatt Rice and I hmm. think uh, Dina Fisk was the lead singer in that band. So this would have been somewhere in the 90s, I think, that mm-hmm. he played with those bands. But we were kids, and he, uh, along with a guy named Jerry McMillan, uh, who was the first bass player with the Lonesome River Band, these were my uh, 15, 16-year-old in that age group uh you know, friends, and they turned me on to uh, J.D. Crow and Boone Creek and some of the more modern things that were happening. And uh, from then on, and I was uh, totally submerged myself in that culture and that music. And that's when I switched, you know, it was in there probably about 15. I think I was playing a little fiddle before that. I entered a little contest when I was 15. And there was a little band called East Virginia Grass from the Roanoke area, and they they hired me to play the fiddle, and I really couldn't play that much. I knew (laughs) a song or two, but 
uh, from then on, I switched from guitar to fiddle then from there on. Uh, and, you know, I was always playing the mandolin a little bit. Because I played guitar, the right hand thing was already there. So right, kind of like yeah. A no-brainer. And so I was playing. Well, I tell you, after I heard Boone Creek and I heard Ricky Skaggs playing mandolin and fiddle and everything, and I just, I wanted to do that, you know. Yeah, so sure. Very big influence on me. And did I did I read where you actually won uh, the Galax fiddle contest? I did win Galax. Yeah. Galax in uh, 1982. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, yeah and it was, uh, I mean, I can tell this now. I don't think they'll take the trophy away, but, uh, you know, I uh, entered the contest and then left, I want to say, contest, part of the contest was probably on a Thursday night. And uh, I took off and uh, drove to play a uh, show with Del McCurry. And uh, I don't think you were supposed to be playing in a professional band and still entering that contest. So oh. I kept it on the down low. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I think I was only making maybe uh, uh, $100 to play with Del McCurry. I don't think I made more in the fiddle contest. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that's just, uh, you know, one of those things where they... Uh, you know, they have those little rules. So, like I said, I don't think they'll take that away from me now, but right. I kind of kept yeah. that on the down low, you know. <laughs> and, and then it wasn't long after that that uh, you actually uh, uh, were instrumental in, in helping create the Lonesome River Band. Is that right? Yeah, all this was happening that, that year. This was 1982. So I was playing probably 18 and 19 locally with Tim. Austin and we had the we had the Lonesome River Band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original lineup was uh, me playing the mandolin and fiddle and singing, and Tim Austin playing guitar and singing, and Rick Williams playing the five string banjo, and this uh, Jerry McMillan playing bass and mm-hmm. singing. Most of the lead and tenor. Jerry's a great singer. But uh, it was a great little band. I don't know how much material we had. I think we were mostly doing covers, country gentlemen. You know, the old auction was real hot. Probably playing some of their songs. But, uh, we were playing some festivals and this and that, but uh, Rick Williams and myself, uh, he was actually there before me. We were working with Del McCurry at the, simultaneously because the Lonesome River Band was basically a, long, uh, uh, just a local band. Right. And so we were using that to uh, fill in dates, uh, you know, for Rick and I to play around the Roanoke area. And we, we traveled some and worked in North Carolina and Virginia, West Virginia, played some, a few festivals, but uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, obligated with Dell to do those dates. So uh, the Lonesome River Band was kind of a secondary thing. And Tim was very, Tim Austin was very serious about making it work. And, uh, you know, uh, somewhere in there he kind of pressed me that he wanted to, uh, have a full band, a full time band. So mm-hmm. I think uh, Rick and I probably both dropped out of that band that year, later in that year, and he hired uh, Jeff Nitkiff to play the mandolin, and I think Randy Driscoll, and that was the first band that recorded for Rebel Records. With the right. Rebel okay. Band. Mm. So where where did it go for you from there? Because you've you've gotten to play with a lot of different folks and and, and a lot of different. Uh, um, uh, different styles of, of bluegrass and country throughout your years? Yeah, so, you know, I um, I was 
dating my, my who was still my current my wife, you know, Janet. We were dating, and we were pretty serious about starting a family, and uh, you know that had a, a big uh, play in how we made decisions as far as what I did because sure. that kind of kept me from starting a band, right. having a family. I okay. sort of made that. So I was basically moved myself into a uh, utilitarian musician. Right, okay. A, a side man, you know, I, I worked, I, I played that year with Bill McCurry and then uh, Janet and I got married. The next year uh, with the Nashville and played with Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys on the Grand Ole which was pretty secure work at the time. They were working over 100 days a year on the road. Wow. Plus the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> they were probably one of the hottest acts in the, in the country at the time. I mm-hmm. mean, all of the Opry acts in the early 80s were, uh, you know, the Osmond Brothers and Monroe and Jim and Jesse were uh, very sought after and worked, worked a lot. Those were very stable positions for a side man. <laughs> so I was there for about a year. Anyway, excuse me. Um, I remember getting on. Janet and I got married July second in 1983, and uh, we went on a little honeymoon, which was following Jim and Jesse's bus to the bluegrass festivals, and uh, <laughs> not very romantic. But um, I left her in Northern Virginia, and she drove down to Nashville and took off uh, from there uh, somewhere up around DC to. Uh, the West Coast for a 30-day tour with Jim and Jesse were 28 or 30 dates, and uh, she was alone by herself in Nashville for the first month oh, in an apartment at like maybe 20 years old, I think. And uh, when I got back, she was just a little bit, uh, you know, just it was a little much sure. for her. And <laughs> yeah. so we decided uh, maybe that just to get our feet solid in our marriage and on the ground and all that. We moved back to Virginia for, I want to say, uh, in October or November of that year. And I played then for the next 18 months with uh, uh, the Lost and Found and did a record with oh, them. Oh, okay. Yeah. All the Shine on uh, Rebel Records. And uh, that that lineup was the first uh, record with Steve Wilson playing guitar and singing lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived up there, and then uh, somewhere in early 85, I was uh, offered a job with the wife and Jerry Douglas to come to Nashville, play right. fiddle in that band. Okay. And they, they were real popular, and I thought that was a, it was, it was one of those jobs, every fiddle player in the country at that time that wanted to get to Nashville would love to have that gig, so right. I had to go, you know, I went back and did that. Stayed with them for almost five years. Then toured a couple of years with the Austin Brothers into the 80s. And, uh, you know, kids were getting a little older. We were wanting a little nicer place. And I decided at that point, somewhere 89, 90, somewhere to, to uh, leave bluegrass and go into the country field. There was a lot of, um, you know, that was the... 90s was the beginning of uh, a real big time for country music. That was uh, right. when Vince uh, was hitting uh, Clint Black. And the, that whole era of country music then through the 90s, I uh, 
I went to work with Aaron Tippett mm-hmm. and played on his uh, second album and produced his first number one record, There Ain't Nothing Wrong With The Radio, and I played fiddle on that record. Wow, cool. And, uh, you know, just doing the thing, but still not really doing what I wanted to. I mean, enjoying being part of the music community in Nashville for sure. And, you know, I went on to work then with um, Brooks and Dunn. I, I worked six years with Barbara Mandrell, who was still pretty hot mm-hmm. in, in the 90s. She was a pretty big act, and, you know, that allowed a lot of travel and bigger shows and kind of the country lifestyle thing, you know, but I still was a little bit, uh, it was frustrating, you know. I was seeing all the uh, the uh, success of the Lonesome River Band and and uh, the other guys that I started with, and uh, I was always kind of itching to do that same time doing what I felt like I needed to for the family type thing, you know. Sure. So what... I always find it hard to get. It's funny, when you get into that, and then you get in that money, then it's really hard to start a business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. step off that, that. So what brought you back to Bluegrass? How, how, when did that start for you? Well, I want to say, I want to say somewhere around 2000, early 2000s. I'd have to look now and see... I, a, a little bit of a blur, but I was touring. <laughs> the end of all that uh, was touring with John Michael Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ronnie Bowman uh, was in Nashville, and he started to have some success as a songwriter, and uh, had left the Lonesome River Band and was doing this thing. I, I did an album with him. The get, it's Getting Better All the Time album, mm-hmm. whatever the year yeah. that came out was during those years. And we recorded that at my studio. And uh, I toured with him for a couple of years there, and of course still freelance, did some country stuff, but mostly playing with him, and he, he kind of encouraged me back into it. But at that point, you know, I was at that point I was uh, a little bit on the road, off the road sort of thing. I was uh, mostly just doing freelance studio work and producing some albums and uh, got into producing it. And was... Uh, doing a little bit of bluegrass with, uh, like, the Crow Brothers. I was producing their albums mm-hmm. and recording their albums. Uh, when, and they had been out of it for a while. We went back a long way, so that that was a lot of fun for me. I produced uh, Luke McKnight, uh, Jesse's grandson, producing bluegrass for him. Uh, some other lesser-known acts, but um, I want to say from there on up until... Uh, around 2012, 13, 13, I think somewhere in there I got hooked up with Mark Duke, and uh, we were just playing around town one night, and he said that it might have even been uh, his wife uh, said to me, hey, are you doing anything? I said, well, I'm actually just still working in town. And she said, would you be interested in a project with Mark? And she looked me and Mark up, and we did a, a project for Pinecastle and uh, produced them uh, top ten number one records in the Bluegrass Today chart. Wow, cool! Played at quite a few festivals with that. And, uh, I did that somewhere around 2008, 2014, or 15. Mark uh, had some serious health issues pop up, and it kind of slowed him down. And so I just kind of went back to doing what I was doing until here. This um, Last Christmas, uh, um, Lonnie 
uh, Asher from Pine Castle Records called to see how I was doing, wish me a Merry Christmas. And as we were talking, she said, oh, are you going to do another record for me? Mm. And I thought, hmm, because I hadn't really been thinking about it. But, you know, there's the there's thing with a musician when you uh, write and sing and play, you're always preparing, and you're never really uh, getting it out there, you know. So I had all this material laying around, stuff that I really wanted to do. I'm going to yeah. say probably 20, 20 years I've been kind of itching or working on my own thing. You know, the, whatever we are, it's a culmination of everything we've done and worked with, all these influences. Right. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, the kids are gone. Janet and I are pretty good shape. And uh, I didn't get to do it when I was young, but uh, this is a great market for people that just want to do art. They're not really worried about whether you're the young, uh, youngest, hottest-looking thing out there. You know, they're, <laughs> yeah, right. they're happy to just listen to the music. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I got thinking about that. It wasn't a week or two, and I, I said, okay. And I, I don't know to this day, I never have asked, asked Lonnie, but he might have been just saying that in conversation, but it was like, okay, I'm taking you up on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> So the the new band Steve Thomas and the Time Machine, uh, one record out. Are you working on a new one? Or are you still working on the first one? I was just doing the liners when you called the day. We okay. have, well, we've probably got uh, you know enough stuff in the can. We I think all together we cut about sixteen songs, and we're going to put twelve on the record. So uh, we're working on the next one right now. You know, we want to once I kind of turned it on. Well, I was going to do this. We just got really working as hard as we could. We got busy. So I'm wanting to have another record out. This one's not even out yet, but I'm hoping maybe this one be out for eight or nine, ten months and already have the next one in the pipeline. So the but, one that uh, you're working on now, is that number two? Do you already have one out, or is this the first one? No, it's the first one. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, had, I was just doing the liners for this one. Yeah. Hopefully... When I get all the stuff in, I'm hoping that we'll have the uh, hard copy in March. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, that's what we're shooting for. That'll give us, uh, you know, a couple of months before it's released uh, to do some, uh, you know, promotional stuff. Do you have a name for it yet? I think it's going to be Steve Thomas and the Time Machine all of these years. Okay. Cool. And all of these years is a song that I got from a band called the Steelwoods. They're a southern rock band. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I saw them at the Alpha a few weeks ago. And they, uh, we, I kept this song. I had Del McCurry, who was gracious enough to come in and sing Turner on this record. And uh, it's sort of a blues song. And uh, I played it for those guys at the Opry, and they were just you know, it kind of made me feel good. They're like, yeah. we know it's bluegrass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's going to be my next single, and uh, we're going to get that out before the record. Okay. We've had one single off of this record, yeah. down in the wild, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, it went to number five. Yeah, yeah. Charts. Yeah, that, that one was doing I well on Sirius. Really yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all my friends are sending me pictures of it, you know. <laughs> uh, That's good. Uh, I take a picture of the 
to the title. Hey, you're getting played. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're getting out there making a little noise. So if, if people want to follow you, keep in touch, what, where's the best way? What's uh, what's your website? What's the best way to track well, track the record? Time Machine. Yeah, Steve Thomas and Time Machine on uh, Facebook and then uh, SteveThomasMusic.net uh, webpage. And between those two things, you should be able to kind of keep up with what I'm doing. Awesome. Good. Well, thank you, Steve. It's uh, was neat hearing your, your story and uh, and and all that you've done, and we certainly wish you well with this new chapter. Hey, thank you so much, and thank you for giving me a little time to talk to your family. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the internet at americanarhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.